Blog Talk Radio. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host and shepherd, Jake Counts, navigating you through this crazy world that we all live in. Thank you so much for joining us here. If you're tuning in live, as always, thank you for making me a part of your Tuesday and Thursday night ritual. It is the third day of December 2013, and I'll be live here for the next hour, possibly, if not a little bit longer, and joining me shortly will be... A friend of the show and a member of the journalistic revolution and um, one of the favorite guests of the show, I guess, from the listener's uh, perspective, Josh Wiley, will be joining me here to cover the waterfront. We're going to be covering Bitcoin, you name it. There's a ton of stuff to get into on the news side of things. So the first thing that caught my eye not too long ago, and I'll go ahead and dive into this article, so to speak, because this is something that I have been – I guess, harping on and trying to direct people's attention to for right about two years now. Ever since I started the podcast, it actually came out of a – it actually came out of necessity. It wasn't something that I set out to do and get into radio and get into, you know, doing podcasting and and being this voice in the wilderness. But um, in essence, it happened because – I was starting to come across information and then verifying the information, you know, as Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify, or as the guy that I like to um, look at for a lot of my research, uh, Bill Cooper said, um, only, um, basically only go with things that you can verify yourself. Because if we go around, um, you know, parroting narratives that we don't know if they're fact or fiction, then we put a a false feedback loop out into the system, and then that's where the term conspiracy theorist has actually taken a derogatory meaning and actually started back in the Kennedy assassination, but has actually taken on a, a, a different meaning if you're looking at the grammar, logic, and rhetoric behind the term, uh, a different meaning altogether, which um, now in popular culture, a conspiracy theorist is just a liar, which is – the the furthest thing from the truth, but we'll get into – I'll let Josh break down the grammar, and um, we can both talk about the logic and the rhetoric involved in that. And for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, please check out my podcast that we did on the Trivium. And for more information on the Trivium, you can go to um, – I believe it's triviumtheory.org uh, or check out uh, tragedyandhope.org and uh, navigate yourself there. So – the first article I did want to cover tonight, and then I'm going to pull Josh up. He is on the line now, so I know he can hear me, is once again something that I've been talking about for quite some time. Um, by a lot of measures, um, the United States has become a more and more socialized nation, and that is by design. It is, a, um, it is one of the models of the Fabian Socialist, and one of the reasons that Bitcoin is demonized so much you know, Josh isn't as big of a fan of Bitcoin as I am because of some quirks, but um, the way that I look at it, it is it is actually a a currency that can be not only 
generated by the people for the people, but you can also have embedded contracts, chargeback rights, and things like that can be embedded in the actual coding itself. So it eliminates the necessity for a third-party system to come in and uh, mitigate commerce. So I think that that's a pretty good deal. Of course, nothing's perfect, so we have to get um, we have to get to some semblance of balance. But let's face it, anything getting away from the the high cabal of the Federal Reserve System would be a vast improvement from what we have now. Right now, we have a bunch of gangsters that lend our country's money, and and what our country's really. And and Josh and I'll probably get into some of the philosophical arguments a little bit later on, understanding that uh, typically monetary policy and nation states um, will um, work together in cahoots for centralized control, and that's just, um, that's just the nature of human history. So anyway, the socialist plan to bring America into a socialized system is not something that is um, a farce um, pipe dream. It is something that has been planned for many, many years, and it actually works in about 50 to 60, sometimes even 70-year increments. And the way that the global controllers lay things out is that they typically want to control both sides of the paradigm so they can get the synthesis they want at the very end. Um, and I'll get into what that means a little bit later, and that's also another term we can delve into as well. So here is the headline from, I believe, let me pull up here because I do like to cite my sources. This is from The Telegraph. It says, Media Attacks Obama for Soviet-Style Publicity Policy. And it says major media organizations protest against being shut out of Obama's events in favor of official photographer. This is um, this is typically what happens in every kind of regime, and this is nothing to be you know overly excited about. But it is a trend; it's a growing trend that you see here in the United States, with us becoming more socialized, having a socialized healthcare system, which was written by the big insurance companies to actually rip you off in double premiums, but. You're a conspiracy theorist if you actually read the legislation and you listen to people that are actually trying to stop something like that. Now, I'm not saying that our system was perfect to begin with because it did have a lot of flaws in it, but um, once again, typically we have to work inside the system that we have. Now we've created a new system that's finally up and running, and now um, the, the uh, authoritarian left is talking about how great it is now that the site's actually working. So anyway, side issue. It said, Barack Obama's White House has been accused of producing Soviet-style propaganda – oh, imagine that – by press photographers who are furious with being denied access to the president. Mr. Obama's aides routinely block um, independent photographers from capturing him at work um, before, disturbing, flattering, before distributing, f- distributing flattering pictures shot by Pete Souza, the, his official photographer. During a tense meeting at the White House, the practice was described by Doug Mills, a veteran photographer at the New York Times, as well as TASS, the Soviet Union State News Agency. Like It says it's just like TASS and the Soviet Union State Agency. So I guess that um, if, if, um, if, they're, um, if that's TASS, then the New York Times would be considered Pravda, so whatever. More of the th- – and if you don't know what Pravda is, go back and research history on um, Soviet Russia and the decline of Soviet Russia and the move into socialism and um, corporatism, and you'll understand what Pravda was. Um, more than 30 um, major U.S. media organizations and the leading U.S. press photographers union have protested being barred from covering Obama in an open letter to his press secretary. And it says, in quote, journalists are routinely being denied the right to the photographer to videotape the president while he's performing his official duties. 
said in a letter which was to Jay Carney. And it says, in quote some more, As surely as we are placing the hand over the journalistic camera's lens, the officials and the administrations are blocking the public from having independent view of the important functions of the executive branch of government. Aides to Obama stress that the administration and the press corps have been arguing about access to the commander-in-chief for several decades. And that is actually true, and you saw this with Bush. You always see this with any president on its way out. They always try to get a grasp on the media. However, they are accused of setting out journalists more frequently now than before. And on the very day of Mr. Obama's presidency, he retook the oath of office behind closed doors after stumbling through his words during his inaugurational ceremony. And after his White House has been taken through social media such as Twitter, Facebook, and Flickr, most of those are actually um, bots, but that's beside the point, the published an unprecedented, unpredicated numbers of officially unapproved pictures. The protest letter from the media groups accused them of replacing independent photojournalism with visual press releases. And um, you guys can read the article if you want. It's by The Telegraph. It launched a couple of days ago. But that's typically what we're dealing with. And so now, um, now I've put him on hold for almost eight minutes and you know, demand that he be on the show right at nine o'clock. We do have Josh Wiley from the Journalistic Revolution on the line with us. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. One of our favorite guests and friend of the show. How's it going, man? Oh, living life, slowly but surely. How about yourself, Jake? Doing doing well, man. Just waiting for this baby to come. So kind of uh, living on pins and needles here. But um, anyway, I can imagine. Yeah, back to the topic at hand. What's um? I, I don't know if you saw this article or not, but I don't. I don't mean to parrot a, a narrative. But would you agree that um, typically the United States, um, through this Fabian socialist plan, has been pushed into a, a socialized system on a basically a collision course with um, uh, with trying to coerce people to get uh, a bigger handle on the monetary system as well as consolidate power through the um, the other little, uh, I guess, global groups that they have, like the Bilderberg Group and, and other issues. Do you think that that's um, – I know that you think that, but um, what are you, what's your take on this whole um, propaganda, so to speak, propaganda war between the uh, the press? Oh, absolutely, and in, in, in far more ways than one. Uh, I think one of the most important things to note about uh, that the kind of uh, definition of journalism that will be uh, created going forward, whether we create it ourselves or we allow people like uh, President Obama or Dianne Feinstein to create it for us, is that uh, we're seeing a push to, uh, to, to make the definition of journalism only those who have gone to credentialed schools, meaning sure. essentially you have to be of the moneyed class and, and have paid into various degrees and have a shiny press badge to be considered a journalist. And uh, I, when, when the fourth estate was established, uh, I don't think that was the intent of the founders. And anyone who reads their writings uh, judiciously is as you and I do, I don't mm-hmm. think I think you'd be hard pressed to to interpret it as such, especially seeing as these people did not have the the kind of uh, university complex that we that we currently have today. Uh, which is why it's so important to to not only act in complete and utter defiance of what these people are saying. If they tell you to put your camera turn your camera off, you tell them to go to hell. I mean, and and, and you're going to experience adverse effects for this. I was in Washington D.C. a couple months ago shooting B-roll footage for a documentary series I'm producing. And uh, a police officer told me to stop uh, filming the, the Capitol building on multiple occasions, two different groups of police officers, and, and both, both of which I flexed my rights to, uh, one of which uh, got in my face and threatened to throw me uh, in a cage and ended up throwing me in a cage for about three hours until uh, someone came and got me out. Um, 
of course, they, they, they didn't press any charges against me because they couldn't. I wasn't breaking mm-hmm. the law. Sure. Uh, but this is, this is going to be a precedent that, that we see going forward. So it's so important for people to, to kind of uh, adapt an open source model of journalism where uh, we're sharing our work with one another. We give each other the right to, uh, to re-syndicate and, and redistribute our work uh, under, mm-hmm. under a sort of Creative Commons-esque license. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the more eyes that are on uh, the the media that people are capturing, when they don't want us capturing it, the better. Absolutely, and you know, as I stumbled and bumbled to try to get to a a more cogent response, which you actually gave me, the fourth estate was created and is actually the most significant part of a free society. Because if you don't have freedom of the press, then you don't have free speech, then you don't have anything. And and it, and it really does fall in that order, and that's what you're starting to see here. And whether it's the controlled paradigm released by the the gentleman in um, in uniforms with shiny badges, uh, enforcing unjust laws like what happened to you, um, it it is really moving into sort of a a command and control, and it's all press it's 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 all predicated on this economic system that we have in in place currently knowing and the people at the top knowing that there are going to be challenges ahead and big challenges at that and as you and I have talked about before whether they've set the the I guess the the pit in the pendulum if they've set the pendulum in motion and there's really no way to get off the table now they're I mean obviously there was an article out the other day that um the billionaires out there are buying more and more bunkers so what does that tell you that tells you that typically these people are on the inside track and as you and I well know uh, most of the the, um, the Bilderberg elite um, members, the Council on Foreign Relations members, when you see them doing things that um, that will make you kind of raise an eyebrow, typically means that they have an, an idea of what's to come, and it's not necessarily a foregone conclusion, but it does it does lend its way to to um, some abstract thinking as what do they know that the public doesn't know, and it typically turns out to, as you well know, Josh, it typically turns out to be quite a bit. Oh, absolutely. And I, I would say that the moneyed class right now is, is really uh, buying the four Bs. You mentioned one of them there, bunkers. But I, I would call it bunkers, bullets, bombs, and bullion. Uh, they're heavily investing in all four of these categories. And if you're some Chinese uh, major invest, uh, investment firms or some Silicon Valley firms, then I guess you could add Bitcoin in there as well. You know, I have my uh, sure. reservations about Bitcoin. Um, mm-hmm. But cer- certainly it's a great way to transact free here and now. Uh, sure. I, again, it's uh, I'd be hard pressed to to put any savings in it, given its volatility, and, and given that it's gone away from the model of being able to mine it yourself, because GPU mining uh, as an individual is virtually impossible today. You, right, you, and you we discuss, and we discussed that last night. So let's for for people that are just joining us that are curious about Bitcoin, because it has been a, a hot topic. Let's talk about um, let's let's dial it back a little bit from geopolitics and talk about Bitcoin for just a second, and. Um, so when you say that it's actually moved from being able to mine it yourself, uh, explain to the people how Bitcoin originated and, and what happened at the, at the fledgling stages of this um, alternative currency to a fiat, a.k.a. a state-run money system. Well, most people cite the, the creation of Bitcoin at 2009, and you know, mm-hmm. because you know, so many of the people that get involved with Bitcoin today are either ideological investors or momentum monkeys, and that's simply not the case. Bitcoin started around 2007, which is when I first heard about it, and it was set up uh, by, by a website called Mt. Gox, which stood for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. At the time, Bitcoin was not monetized. You could, you could, it didn't have a dollar value, but you could mine it 
simply as a medium of exchange to trade Magic the Gathering cards with other people over the Internet. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so that's that's the genesis of Bitcoin. Uh, and, and since then, it's obviously gained a, a large amount of, uh, of speculative uh, and, and otherwise momentum in the financial markets. But the, the way Bitcoin really works is it's backed by supposedly what people say is it's backed by uh, mathematic algorithms and solving blockchains, which is done sure. through the GPU of your computer, which is the graphical processing unit. It's the thing that uh, essentially makes your, makes your desktop nice and pretty and lets you run video games and all that cool stuff. Um, but since so many people are now uh, investing in Bitcoin and mining Bitcoin specifically, uh, the, the GPU kind of stratagem of mining as an individual is, is not at all profitable anymore. And even if you were to mine in a cloud-based sort of format with other people, um, then, then it's not nearly as profitable as it used to be. So what you're seeing is, is that the only people who can really mine Bitcoin are either institutional investment firms or governments. Um, and I'd be, I'd be really wary. I, I think that there's a lot of benefits to Bitcoin. I don't mean to smash it outright, you know. It, it's great that people can transact freely. It's awesome that this story came out that this guy could transfer $6 million for $0.06 cents or something, mm-hmm. something insane like that. That's amazing, you know. And, and right, it truly and, have it pr- be, and have it being safe and secure on top of that and also having no third-party interference because as Absolutely. long as the two – as long as the two parties um, sign in with the correct passcode and the transaction is, a, um, is once again ratified by both parties, then the transaction happens, and then there doesn't have to be any meddling between a third-party system, which I watched Stefan Molyneux's video that he did, and as you, you know, he's a, he's a very big proponent of it. So I took it you know, with, a, with a filter thinking that this is like watching somebody that really likes the Federal Reserve. It would be like watching um, uh, Janet Yellen get up there and talk about the Federal Reserve system and how great that is. But talking about the the different things that you can encode into the actual coding itself having having the actual contracts and the tentative contracts in there and ha- once both parties accept and the contracts are met then you don't have to have a a mediator which is it, which is a humongous deal because now you're taking away uh, think about what you're taking away. If you wanted to buy a house in Bitcoin, you're, you're taking away a broker. You don't have to have somebody sitting there saying, we agree to this contract and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't have to happen that way. You have the contract embedded in the coin or you have the contract embedded in the, in, in the actual payment of the, of the mortgage to the institution, whatever the institution may be. And yes, it's going to eliminate jobs, but you have to think about how much more capital that's going to free up for everyone else because you're not getting nickel and dime, so to speak. And then governments are going to have to figure out a way to um, to circumvent that with their taxation laws, and it's going to it's going to create a um, almost a breakaway financial um, financial institution. Which, Josh, I think you and I can both agree to this because you and I have studied enough, um, I guess, uh, psychology to understand that uh, it's like what Einstein said: you can't solve the problem. In the same conscious that the problem was created, and right now we have um, we have a monetary system by cabal or a monetary system by gangs. Would you agree? Oh, I'd agree with that. Although I I don't know if I would agree that Bitcoin is of a of a separate consciousness from the monetary system we currently yeah. operate on, because both both currencies, whether whether you're exuberant about Bitcoin or not, it truly mm-hmm. is a fiat currency at, at its heart. It's a you know, it's 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 well, currency. Well, it depends by... on what your working definition of fiat is. If your working definition of fiat is um, is is fiat, which would be you know government decree or or, well, or money by decree, then then it's fiat not. Fiat literally means 
Yeah, fiat literally means money by decree, and and by decree it means you know someone has has uh, has assigned value to it. It's not some shadowy banking cabal that has assigned sure. value to it. Instead, it's very exuberant investors which have assigned value to it. Now, whether that that uh, that exuberance uh, will continue for five thousand years like gold and silver has, or mm-hmm. this is uh, this is very similar to what we saw in the mid to late nineties with with dot com uh, companies. Uh, be, mm-hmm. Being a, a very exciting, uh, profit-driven kind of scheme that was set up um, deliberately uh, to, well, maybe not deliberately, but but certainly the end result wasn't good for for many of those shareholders. Uh, but at, at, when all is said and done, we get back to to, to this core tenet of, of of the comparison between Bitcoin and dot com stocks, in that uh, there there are so many different forms of of digital and cryptocurrencies at the moment. We've got Bitcoin, we've got Life, Litecoin. Uh, and there's like six or seven others that 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 are uh, varying in value, and and what we're finding is some are better than others for for uh, for certain things, uh, much like uh, much like the tech stocks of the of the mid to late 90s. So mm-hmm. again, once we see this shakeout and and we really observe which of these currencies is going to live and die, I think that's when we can really have uh, have an honest discussion about the 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 continuing value of cryptocurrencies. But until mm-hmm. that happens, what we're seeing is 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 purely speculative buying from people who want to make a quick buck and, and are very, very excited about the, the, the prospect of that. Uh, because, sure. you know, as, as you, I'm sure, are aware of, the people, some of the earlier adopters of Bitcoin were ideological investors, were Austrian mm-hmm. economists or, or mm-hmm. maybe even some Chicago schoolers who, who really thought that this, this was going to be the wave of the future. But right. that's simply not the. That is not what drove Bitcoin from fifty dollars to twelve hundred overnight. No, and uh, you what, and I both know that it was it was the Chinese investment financial or the Chinese financial groups that that were the ones getting involved in pushing the money in. And, and you and I talked about that weeks before it even hit the hit the mainstream news, and that's when you started seeing the big surge. Is that? I mean, that's what you and I talked about. Is that what you were alluding to? I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, no, don't don't worry about it. And I think the that Chinese capital investment is certainly part of it. I think it's very interesting that Chinese capital investment from some investment firms and major banks, uh sure. they're very interested in Bitcoin, but the Chinese government still has not touched it. And in fact they've increased their bullion holdings and stayed away from Bitcoin, which which should be a, a good indicator anywhere to anyone out there looking to, to put their money somewhere long term. Mm-hmm. Uh now that that being said, you know, I think there are other factors to consider here, you know. One of the one of the wonderful things and and scary things about Bitcoin is that you have absolutely no idea who's mining these bitcoins at any given time. It's a, it's a completely right. anonymous currency for the most part. So, if we're looking at a currency that was set up by crypto analysts, uh I I I see one organization on the face of the planet that has more crypto analysts than anyone else, and that is the NSA. Yeah, uh, I was so just about to go there. I don't really we was. Cer- we certainly cannot discount the fact that major investment firms here in America, as well as governments across the world, have, have either gotten into Bitcoin in a big way or have, uh, have deliberately set up Bitcoin as, as, as a type of experiment. Because, you know, as we know, Satoshi Nakamoto is a, is a pseudonym. It's a completely anonymous individual. We have no idea who put this, uh, who put this uh, currency out, out into the nexus of, of the world and the Internet for people to consume on their own. Uh, so yeah, I think that this is, these are these are real concerns about Bitcoin. And my biggest frustration with Bitcoin is not the technology in and of itself. I think it's I think it's a wonderful technology with a bright and prosperous future for certain things. But as, sure. you know, what, once we once we step back and look at things objectively, I think there's such a fervence of of Bitcoin uh, supporters and early adopters and people who are excited about cryptocurrencies. 
who like to step on other people's toes. And, oh, yes. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm sure you've seen it in, in online discussions about alternative currencies or, or ways to save money. And these people yeah, if, are, I bring these up, are, if I bring up silver, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things that's kind of like, you know, you get pushed to the wayside, but yet silver and gold have been have been mediums of exchange um, since the dawn of time because of their intrinsic value. And they will always have intrinsic value because there's a, it, it's kind of like Bitcoin. It, it has a limited supply. So, and I, and I would, I would very much agree with you that, um, that Bitcoin will probably have its place in mediums of exchange. Now, whether it'll be the, the backing of currency around the world, I highly doubt it, but it's, it's good from my perspective. It's good to see people thinking outside the box and actually being able to latch on to something or an idea of something without state intervention. You and I both understand that the, the smaller we can keep the state because I just don't think that we're at a, at a place of um, human consciousness where we can completely eliminate the state because you know that it's – once again, it's tied into our educational system. It's basically had its hand – the state has had its hand on your pulse since you literally came out of the womb and you get a social security number. And if you want to know yeah. what a social security number is, please go research that because that will very much back up my argument. But, uh, but continue. I, I, I think that we're, we're going to run into a, a place, hopefully in the near future – as we see um, the Federal Reserve and as we see this cabal slowly become exposed – and it is slowly becoming exposed, uh, whether whether people want to believe it or not. Of course, the mainstream media will never touch it, but um, they will touch um, little little parts of the working groups, which are which are that's a big deal, because we've at least gotten to the point where now they won't just deny that Bilderberg Group exists, that steering committees exist, that um, but getting people to go all the way back to the Rhodes Roundtable, like you and I discussed last night, and, and talk about how. You know, utilizing the the model of secret societies in order to set up this system that we're all basically perpetuated and born into, with really um, the false sense of of freedom, uh, it, I, I think is going to be a, an interesting revelation to a lot of people. Uh, and perhaps we should get into that a little bit more because I know that people really do get hungry for this information, especially people like yourself and myself that have researched and have read and, and, and can um, carry on a somewhat cogent conversation can, can really explain to people where we're at in the, in the cycle of free humanity and we're nowhere near uh, being free and independent human beings. Oh, mo most certainly. We talked about this a little bit uh, last night off air, but uh, you know, Thoreau once said that government, which governs not at all, is, is the best government, essentially. And when men yes. are prepared for it, that is mm -hmm. exactly the kind of government which they will have. And obviously men in this day and age are, are nowhere near being prepared for, for such a government. But when you talk about uh, these shadowy banking cabals and, and groups meeting in secret to decide uh, the fate of humanity... I can't help but but go back to to so many government, not only declassified government documents, but uh, from people speaking off the cuff about uh, the the economic model of the new world order. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and I, I hate to get too conspiratorial on our audience here, but you know, th this this is a this is a fact that that what Bitcoin currently is is very very similar to the model which which uh, which many central banks want to transition to. It's, of course, uh, it, and they would and they would love to back it with some semblance of a, of an of an energy credit. You know, much like when you when you look at all of the the people that have talked about this for for you know for forever, like the Huxleys when they used to talk about how that they were going to shift to an an energy credit system. 
and that that was going to be the the system that in the entire um, human species would would go off of. It was never going to be a gold backed currency. It was, ne- and that's why the big carbon push is always so very important to watch because. Anytime they're talking about carbon emissions and anytime they're talking about carbon, we need to lower the carbon footprint and we have to do all these things. They're utilizing that as leverage. Once again, the two things to understand about the global power structure is they utilize leverage and a dumbed-down population to get what they want, and they always create the synthesis at the end. So when they talk about using energy, and like you were talking about before or alluding to with Bitcoin, and once again, sorry to cut you off, but um, – you know, they would love to back that with some kind of carbon credit because then you would have basically everything that you would need. You would have a paperless currency. You would have it backed with some semblance of energy, which which they're going to team as finite. And you know, and I, how you and I both know how they operate with being a artificial scarcity generating fear mongering bunch of um, kleptocrats because that's what they do. They generate fear in order to create artificial scarcity. Just like the um, if you go all the way back to the De Beers uh, cartel, that's that's how they did it. It's artificial scarcity. That's how, um, once again, uh, Cecil John Rhodes made his entire fortune was creating an artificially scarce environment with, with diamonds and, and controlling the supply to the masses and then you know using propaganda as a weapon and um, teaching you that diamonds are a girl's best friend and everybody that gets engaged needs a diamond. But, but Jake, diamonds are forever and every kiss begins with K. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, man. Absolutely. It's, it's bonkers. It is absolutely yeah. bonkers. But... Yeah, um, I- no, go ahead, man. Go ahead. I, I've been rambling, so go ahead. Oh, no, I, I just wanted to say that I completely agree with, with your analysis, and I, I certainly think that the idea of a, of a digital carbon credit system is, is something that has probably been on, on the minds of these people for, for quite some time, but, um, you know, we're, we're almost there already. Uh, we've, the, only, the only thing separating us from that, that system as it stands is that we still have physical notes and coins in circulation, uh, banknotes. They're they're not technically worth anything, but they are backed up by American military might. Uh, you can't say the same thing for Bitcoin. So in mm. that sense, I'd almost rather be holding dollars. Right, and you're exactly right. And it, and it, isn't it always um, amazing to watch how um, monetary um, monetary systems will always be uh, backed up by the the power of the state? It's just it it. it you have to look at it from a a thirty thousand foot perspective, and um, we got Trip Hugh on the line here as well, um, a fellow um, podcaster, um, and people have heard him on my show. He actually did the show with me on the um, on the JFK um, assassination with the um, what I like to call the My Little Pony bullet. But um, let's move into, and we're going to shift subjects, and, and then we'll bring Trip into this, unless Trip wants to comment on this. Let me let me pull him up really quick. And then um, I want to um, I want to shift into the control groups, and and I want to show how the mainstream media is actually covering portions of the control groups, um, letting you uh, see a little bit behind the curtain, but not really exposing the entire um, system to you. And then Josh, you and I can expound, and and, and I'm sure Trip can expound on this as well. Expound on the. Um, the system, the way the system works, and and how um, I guess uh, conspiratology, as you like to call it, which is I think a, a fabulous term, or the study of conspiracies, um, really does play into this. And if you if you look deep enough, and if you dig um, if you dig into the right places, 
um, you're going to find uh, a lot of cross sections, and you're going to be able to to fact check yourself with a with a lot of um, with just mainline history, but it will never be taught to you in its schooling because of the way your school structure is set up. It is not set up for you to be an enlightened, enriched human being. It is set up for you to be a cog in the wheel, a um, a mindless drone, so to speak. And um, and then at the very end of the show, I'll um, I'll give my breakdown as you and I talked about last night, Josh, of um, of how the the power structure looks at you, the individual. And it's not very difficult, but um, just kind of hearing it spoken, I guess, um, might change your perspective. So let me pull up Trip U real quick, and um, we'll get into this. Trip, you are on the air, man. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you, and uh, thank you for having me over to uh, Casa de Counts the other night, man. It was, uh, it was a nice thing to do. Well, it was great to have you, man. And, uh, Josh, one thing that I was telling Tripp that I thought was pretty exciting is that um, I guess liberty all has the same height because we're all about the same height. So <laughs> it's very, very interesting. But uh, anyway, Tripp, what's, uh, what made you call in, man? What's, uh, what's, been, what's on your mind, dude? Other, other than my regular itch for radio, uh, no, um, I, I think you guys touched on a good thing. And, uh, you know, I really didn't uh, think about this when we were out there doing it and even when me and Robert were compiling the video for the Black Friday shopping. Mm-hmm. But this, this sort of ties in here. And because I, I got my weekly spot on Dangerous Conversation I did yesterday, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a very interesting conversation on this, and this was all of this artificial scarcity and all of this, and, and I'll, I'll give you a prime example. Something that had a very profound effect on me when I was very young was uh, the year that the Tickle Me Elmos came out, and they were huge. Mm-hmm. Yep. Me and, my dad, me and my dad walk into a Kmart, and there's two grown 40-year-old women, literally. I mean, we're talking cage match. Uh, no holds barred style in the middle of these aisles for the last tickle me Elmo that they had there, and that 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 kind of stuck with me for a, a number of years, uh, even to this day, and just how that trickle down effect and what we saw over this past week of uh, don't worry, you know the shopping season's in full swing. We keep on pushing it back further. We're staying open all night. Uh, you know, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with the economy. Buy right. your slave goods. You know, right. and, and and that trickle down effect to say that there's there's nothing lost here by uh, as soon as the turkey settles, go run out as soon as you can because we're open all night. Well, right. you know, a lot of companies are are I mean that's their bread and butter. This past weekend was and into the days following up to Christmas is going to be their bread and butter for the entire year. And yeah, and you and I and you and I talked about that when you were at my house. We talked about how no matter no matter what these retail outlets um these big box stores no and this was actually one of the topics for the show so I'm glad you kind of got um got us on track before we got off into a into a very big tangent but that's kind of why I added an extra 30 minutes tonight is that um typically when you see these marketing gimmicks and that's what they typically are people they're gimmicks I I've got a 4 year degree in marketing I understand how they manipulate you it's not very difficult what they'll do is they'll offer you what's called a retail price, which nobody on the planet will ever pay retail. 
it's so far beyond. It's almost like double whatever the profit margin may be. So if the good costs $50, it's going to say retail is $99.95. And then they're going to go on sale for $70. They'll, they'll say like $20 off, and it'll be $79.95. And then they'll do a Black Friday sale, and they'll do $69.95. So you're, you're still making a, a very good profit. You're still making probably a 20% profit as opposed to like a 25%. But you're not getting much better of a deal, and in some cases, you're not even getting a deal. Like um, they'll they'll do a markup with a mail-in rebate. What what they understand is that people are lazy, and that and I learned this in college as well. Typically, if you do any kind of mail-in rebate, whether it's for a phone or if it's for any other kind of good, they'll do um, let's say a fifty-dollar mail-in rebate. So, but they'll flash the price on the screen that'll be without or with the mail-in rebate applied to the actual price of the good. So, for these televisions from Walmart, for example, they could say it's ninety-nine dollars, and then you read the fine print at the bottom with a fifty-dollar mail-in rebate. They understand that only about twenty percent of the population is ever going to mail in that rebate. So they're really selling you the good for the exact same price that they sold it for the day before, but giving you the fictional causality to come in and consume like you were talking about before, Trip, to create the artificially stimulated price to create that emotional response that you have actually been conditioned with through your public school education. So it's it's a it's a win-win for the corporations because they've created a an emotional buying person an emotional slave buyer and then they provide you with the emotional stimulus to go out like you said trip right after the turkey dinner and invest your hard-earned money into something that was never even on sale in the first place and, and the point that i really wanted to drive home especially with the conversation that i had yesterday that i don't quite i didn't quite have the time to articulate well enough was that um, that, that trickle-down effect, you know, we all know the economy is in shambles, but what happens when it gets down to the, you know, Black Friday, you know, the, in my opinion, the lowest of the low, you know, the ravaging Black Friday shopper um, as far as consumerism goes. And it, it, it beca- it, we become more deprived, more, more depraved, I should say, um, and, and all of these things just keep getting worse and worse. And I think that that was something that I had said in the video as well, is like, you know, we could do, and of course there's news stories, it's always like, well, you know, four people were trampled, a guy at Walmart was shot and killed, three people got robbed of their TVs after the fact. Uh, by the way, here's a heartwarming story of a little kid that decided to go clean off his neighbor's uh, shovel the snow off his neighbor's driveway for him, an elderly couple. You know, and they'll end you with that story for the night. But the mm-hmm. true fact of the matter is, is that that is happening less and less. And the trampling, the the screw you, my kid needs it more uh, mentality is is alive and well. Sad to say, you know, and, and so. It's a sign of the times that they say J.C. Penney comes out with these commercials that I'm watching before Thanksgiving that are going, fa-la-la-la-la, we're open all damn day long, into the night, into the wee hours of the morning, and all through Black Friday. You know, thanks for thanks for completely dilapidating any sense of, of good humanity that we have left, any sense of... Uh, caring about people that have to have that job to just make it by, that mm-hmm. they're sitting 
for hours and hours on end into the wee hours of the morning when everybody should be home with their families enjoying each other's company. Yeah, and then Josh, you want to you want to add anything real quick? Oh no, I think Trip really hit the hit the nail on the head there, you know. And 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 when we see retail uh, businesses, these big box kind of stores having these last ditch sales efforts, you know, which again are 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 still well above retail price or and certainly above what the manufacturing price is for a lot of these goods. Uh, we still see that that Black Friday is this is a record low, down 13% from last year, which was down 1.8% from the year before that. Now at the same time. We have a record uh, Cyber Monday, whatever the hell that means, deals going on uh, just, just this past evening. And, and, and simultaneously now, we've got Amazon.com uh, starting up uh, an, an investment scheme in, in, in drone delivery systems. I've, so, actually, I've do, actually got that clip queued up. I'll actually pull that up, and then we can, we can talk about that. So um, here is the um, – it was basically a, a marketing push, or at least they're attempting to – to push this marketing campaign on everybody, that uh, Amazon will now use a drone copter. And the funny thing about it is, um, in the article, do you, um, Josh, did you see who did the interview? And Trip, did you guys see who did the interview for this? Charlie Rose? Bilderberger Charlie Rose? How did you know that two Bilderbergers are sitting there together patting each yeah. other on the back? Yeah. It is fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I don't... I, and that's one thing I want to add. I really don't, uh, you know, if you don't have cable news, that's wonderful. Although I guess Charlie Rose is public access, so you really yeah. have no excuse. Uh, if you can stomach listening to these people, Charlie Rose is an excellent program to listen to because they'll let you know what's going to go on in the world six months before it happens. Absolutely. Because uh, yeah, I, I, I fairly... I, I fairly judiciously watched Charlie Rose, which is why I caught this program as it was airing, and uh, uh, I just sat there with with my jaw open. It's like... Uh, uh, how, how much more insidious can this really get? Well, no, it'll, it'll, Go ahead, Trip. I was just going to say, what really drove this home for me, and this is, uh, of course, uh, I think back in the 80s, but if nobody has checked this out, go check out um, his interview with Charles Manson. Just just check that out anytime that Yeah, I think it's about, you know, 40-some minutes long, but... Uh, yeah, just just do that. Do yourselves a favor and go. Let me show you something. Oh man. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to play. All right, so uh, I'm going to mute everybody, and then we're going to play this clip of the uh, of the of the of the two Bilderbergers um, patting each other on the back, talking about the uh, the drone copters and and how lovely and great it will be. Now, don't get me wrong. This technology would be fantastic if I didn't know that um, you were going to have some sort of spy mechanism on this drone to either face scan me, so to verify, we have to verify whoever is getting this package, so we're going to need to face scan you, or you're going to need the thumbprint, because there's really no other way to verify your identity, because this package is just going to be delivered to your front door. So here's the clip, everybody, and we'll catch you on the backside. Once again, thank you for listening. This is um, We Are Not Cattle Radio, and um, once again, glad that you guys make me a part of your Tuesday night, and I'm very flattered. And um, let's, uh, let's try to shake humanity out of their trance and, and figure out what the hell is going on in this world. Let me show you something. Oh, man. Oh, my God. This. This is. These are octocopters. Yeah. These are uh, effectively drones but there's no reason that they can't be used as delivery vehicles. Take a look up here so right. I can show you how it works. All right. We're talking about delivery here. We're talking about delivery. So there's an item going into the vehicle. I know this looks like <laughs> science fiction. It's not. Wow. 
This is early. This is still years away. Drops the package. There's the package. You come and get your package. And we can do half-hour delivery. Half-hour delivery. Half-hour delivery. And we can carry objects, we think, up to five pounds, which covers 86% of the items that we deliver. And what is the range between the fulfillment center and where you can these, do this within this, this, 30 minutes? These generations of vehicles, it could be a 10-mile radius from a fulfillment center. So in urban areas, you could actually cover very significant uh, portions of the population. Um, and so it won't work for everything. You know, we're not going to deliver kayaks or no. table saws this way. Right. These are electric motors, so this is all electric. It's very green. It's better than driving trucks around. This is all an R&D project. With drones, there's somebody sitting somewhere in front of a screen. Not these. These are autonomous. So you, you give them instructions of which GPS coordinates to go to, and they take off and they fly to those GPS coordinates. What's the hardest challenge in making the, this happen? The hard part here is putting in all the redundancy, all the reliability, all the systems you need to say, look, this thing can't land on somebody's head while they're walking around their neighborhood. That's not good. That's not good. And, you know, I don't want anybody to think this is just around the corner. This is years of additional work from this point. But years but means is, five, ten. I'm an optimist, Charlie. Yeah. I know it can't be before 2015 because that's the earliest that we could get the rules right. uh, from the FAA. My guess is that's, that's probably a little optimistic. But could it be, you know, four or five years? I think so. It, it will work and it will happen and it's going to be a lot of fun. With the drones possibly taking flight in the not-too-distant future, Amazon is raising the stakes in the race for faster delivery. Jeff Bezos believes the company has no choice. Companies have short lifespans, Charlie, and Amazon will be disrupted one day. And you worry about that? I don't worry about it because I know it's inevitable. Companies come and go, and the companies that are the shiniest and most important of any era, you wait a few decades and they're gone. And your job is to make sure that you delay that date. I would love for it to be after I'm dead. <laughs> okay, so there you go, everybody. Two Bilderberg Group members yucking it up about the, the future of drones. But once again, it's not that I am absolutely a... Um, I guess a tinfoil hat wearer, I, I don't know what the proper terminology would be, but um, I'm not one of those people that's uh, deathly afraid of technology. Obviously, I, I am, I'm a fan of Bitcoin, so I'm not risk-averse to technology, but um, how are they going to verify who it is? And I'm pretty sure i got a good idea of what they're going to do. But anyway, um, let's go to um, – Josh, what do you what do you make of all this? Uh, what do you make of the the idea of drones? And um, just to to cue everybody up, and people have heard me say this before, um, if if a corporation is a person, what type of person is it in a psychological sense? From a pure psychological sense, what kind of person is it? See if you can get that one. Oh my goodness! Uh, I, I don't know if I have uh, an answer for that question. Profit, you know, throw... profit at all costs. Profit at all costs. What would that be? Oh, uh, psychopathy. But there you uh, go. You, you know, I mean, it, it, that's what Thoreau once also said that you know a, a corporation made of conscious men is a corporation with a conscience. Uh, you know, it, we we can debate the merits of the the the, the ideological merits of of of, of corporate incorporation or corporatization in general. You know, I don't think it's something that a that a free society should have. Certainly not a free market. But uh, that I 
I, I couldn't help especially but look at who at set them up in, in the very beginning and and why they set them up and it's just it's never mind. I didn't mean to go oh, on a tangent. No, I was just. I, I, Absolutely, and and I'm with you. I'm I'm not a primitivist by any means. I think technology is wonderful. It's it's who who that technology is in the hands of, and who has the R and D money at, at at the present to to kind of develop these these technologies with insidious intent. Uh, so you know when all is said and done, or with that being said, there's there's when we look at this Amazon drone model specifically, and you you cited a number of the concerns, uh, you know GPS uh, geotagging facial scans, uh, thumbprints for, for human recognition, all of these things are, are scary. But one, one of the things that I thought was so apt in that interview is that, you know, these things only have a 10 to 15 mile radius. Uh, so it, there are so many reasons to not be in major American cities right now, but this is just another one. Uh, if you, if you want to, if you want a more traditional delivery method, then, uh, then, then, if, and if you have the means to get out of of where you are, if you're in a major population center, you're you're in for a heap of trouble. Trouble come 2016. All right. So, Trip, what do you what do you make of all this stuff, man? Um, you know, I've heard lots of interesting conversations the past few days since this story broke, and uh, surprisingly, to to my surprise, a lot of people that are in the know. Um, you know, it, it, it almost just seems like this is just a new toy, and America's just got a new toy, whether there's rocket-propelled grenades or machine guns or just dropping your packages off at the door. People tend to think that drones are just a neat thing. Um, I, however, am quite on the contrary. So uh, I, I, I really don't – it's just something – that I don't care for. I'm an old school guy myself. I'm not into, you know, let me know. Don't give me drones. Give me flying cars, okay? When I got a flying car, I might rethink the drone situation. But, you know, I really don't think that um, this is going anywhere good fast. I think this, this is, no pun intended, but what I like to call wrapping the things in the pretty little packages. Isn't that neat that you could order something off of Amazon and 45 minutes later it's going to be at your doorstep? Isn't sure. technology neat? And then we find out that it's used for all kinds of other sinister things at the end of the day. And people, I mean, and we're in the unenviable position to be really um, introduced to drones through weaponry, you know, th- right. this is people like us have come to know what drones are is through weaponry, and mm-hmm. that's no good. And and so I think that that kind of already has a negative connotation to it. But I I I I'm just not that guy, man. I'm not I'm not into the pretty little packages. I I, I see what they're doing, and I see it well ahead of time. So you know, of course, everything like this has to be sold as something good or neat or technologically. Or green. Did you see how he spun it? It's, it's so much greener because they know that they've conditioned, especially the younger population, and I'm speaking to people of um, of Josh's age and, and perhaps a, a little bit younger than you, Trip, that, um, that are basically sold on the fact of, number one, artificial scarcity and, um, and pollution. Do we have pollution problems? Absolutely we do. But if you go back and look at... Um, at the at the planned model, this is pollution was actually a plan. 
there are ways for consumers to get goods that will last longer. There's a way for you to get a computer that will last longer than a computer does. But they did it on purpose in order to turn around and blame you in 50 years and say, look what you evil human beings did. You did all of this. You created all of this. Meanwhile, it's the large corporations, and if you look at all of these industrialized um Transportation vehicles, the, the top 50 corporations pollute more than all of the cars on the planet combined. So, And then they spin it on us and make it like the population's doing something wrong when it's really the corporations that are lawless. And you know, with all these other treaties like the Trans-Pacific Partnership and, and all these other gr- agreements going on outside of government uh, in between corporations just basically dealing amongst themselves and, and telling, the, telling the states and the, and the nation states to go sit down and shut up, like, hey, we run, we run the show now. It, it, and it's um it's like what um Lee Camp said in his last moment of clarity. It was very profound, saying that, you know, BP is not worried about you know anybody else. BP is worried about BP, and Goldman Sachs is worried about Goldman Sachs. So we have got these monolithic, uh, humongous corporations that have more income than most of the most of the nation states on the planet. So of course they control a lot of the things. And then if you look at Who's above these corporations? They they typically have a, a nice little web and and like you and I were talking about yesterday, Josh, with the Berkshire Hathaway and all these other corporations that you know they own and Nestle they own the majority of these little subgroups and that's how they keep it from you because you see a different sticker with a different logo and you think it's a different company. But if you look at the managing partners of it and you look at who controls the assets and the shares of it, like Coca-Cola with Berkshire Hathaway, amongst other things, it's, it's a very small group of people. And not to say that I wouldn't do the same thing, but come on, guys. We've got to figure out a way to kind of dial this thing back and, and figure out how long has this been going on? Who is behind all of this? And we already have those two answers now. And so the next question is what are we going to do about it? Tripp, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I mean, you know, what better argument to pack us, you know, 20 to 30 million people within a small city who's nothing but public transportation and all live in 200-square-foot apartments? And this is, this is the end game to sell us, uh, you know, a bag full of garbage like it's our fault at the end of the day. You sure. know, it's it's not the mega corporations, it's not the banking elite, it's not all of these people that have put all these different things in place. And I, you know, I get into battle, you know, and I don't mean to just identify this state because there's plenty of other people and, and different places on the, at least in the country that I deal with people like, but nowhere like California. I deal with these people out in California all the time where it's like, if you just want to get them riled up and just let them go, you know, watch them mm-hmm. blow their top, just be like, I don't believe in man-made global warming. Oh, if you don't believe in anthropogenic global warming, you are you're not informed. You obviously don't know what you're talking about. Um, you mean the stuff that they wrote about in the nineteen in the Josh Club of Rome? Help me out. Nineteen sixty. Yeah, it was uh, nineteen sixty four. I think nineteen sixty six. You Somewhere mean the stuff there. that they wrote about in 1966 and 1964? You mean that stuff? The stuff that they've been talking about? And um, I brought this up to Josh the other day, um, or actually last night. And then, Josh, I want to get your take on, on the comments that Tripp and I just made. Um, if, you want to look at, if you want to look at what happened um, even back – who I don't, I don't even know when this play was written, but I went and saw A Christmas Carol this last weekend with, um, with, my, with my wife and my sister and my mother and my mother-in-law. So um, 
and and I'm a sucker for I'm a sucker for thespians because I I enjoy going and and watching and suspending disbelief in a um, in an environment that makes you use your imagination rather than having pictures shot at me all the time. Not to say that I don't enjoy television every now and then again, but it just it's a personal preference. But that's a side issue. So. You know, when I looked at and I was listening to a Christmas Carol, because um, the Christmas Carol is a very good, um, I guess, depiction of one of these uh, banking elite, these these money changers, and these guys have existed since the beginning of time, and they will always continue to exist. And he even talks about in in that um, in a Christmas Carol that. Um, if if the little boy dies, then that's good because it'll help with the surplus population. So overpopulation is is not something that's brand new. Anthropogenic global warming is not something that's brand new. It's something that they have been trying to put onto the population for a very long time. And like I said, in the Club of Rome, they talked about how they were going to pollute the earth, and then they're going to turn around and blame it on us. So it's 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 nothing. If you just read what these people have written and what these people have done, and you have to have a, a pretty good path to go down in, in order to get the, a, a really good idea of, of what the ball game is, then um, you, you um, I guess a good place to start is Peace Revolution is a good place to start, and it, it really helped me with with organizing organizing the the books that I need to read and in what order because the order does make a lot of um, a lot of difference. But um, Josh, I'll, I'll let you comment. I've been kind of uh, rambling again. Yeah, no, I, I really think you, you you got down to the crux of it very, very succinctly right there. But you know, because and and you you bring up the, a good point in that this this idea of overpopulation, this overpopulation meme is very old. It's at least as old. As, uh, as as Thomas Malthus's discovery that that population expands exponentially and food arithmetically, right. which certainly mm-hmm. isn't the case anymore. You know, mo- modern agricultural methods, even excluding the the genetically modified nightmare that that has been wrought on the population today, you know, that's simply not the case anymore. But but these global comptrollers would would like you to believe uh, otherwise. I would really recommend if anyone is really interested in the in the history of the Club of Rome and and this kind of environmental fascist model, uh, as well as some of the resistance that it was met with by by inv- environmental student groups at the time. Check out a documentary by or a documentary series, three parts by a guy by the name of Adam Curtis. It's called All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace. Uh, I, I believe it's it's got to be out there for free on the internet somewhere. Um, but but it's an it's an excellent breakdown of of the history of of, of this kind of model and of of the model of Western imperialism in general and and this this mentality of the ruling class that that we live on this wonderful green planet it's spaceship Earth you know Earth is very fragile and we have to keep it uh, in check and and keeping it in check means inherently keeping populations in check you know unfortunately. Uh, and we, we had a little bit of a discussion about this last night, uh, and you, I, I, we were talking about the overpopulation meme, and, and you were very distressed when I, when I called, I agreed with these global comptrollers and said that most of humanity at this point are useless eaters. Useless eaters, it, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's sad to admit, but you know, when that meme first started to propagate itself, the majority of humanity were not useless eaters. They were people with critical free thinking to a certain degree that valued. And they were self-sustaining. Uh, they were self-sustaining individuals for the most part. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, completely. Uh, but that's not the case anymore. Uh, most people in Western society, specifically today, are are are, are not that. They they are groupthink. Uh, groupthink rules the day. And uh, and consumerism rules the day, and I I I I hate to agree with these people, and I'm sure that that's uh, what they want to a certain extent, but 
But th- there are a whole lot of very, very uninformed people, very ignorant people that, that simply take up space on this planet anymore. Go ahead, Trip. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, it, it's a sad state of affairs. I think, you know, at least if I could speak for all three of us, you know, nobody wants to see that. This is not, but, you know, uh, the first track on the road to recovery is admitting that we have a problem. So, you know, uh, as soon as we realize that, you know, I got, uh, Jake, I, and I didn't talk to you really after the fact, but, uh, you know, when I told my family what I was going to do, and of course I didn't have my daughter uh, this this Thanksgiving uh, week or whatever, so mm-hmm. I, I did a lot of things as far as activism. I went out and you know did did these things, and I went and you know hung out with Jack Blood uh, down there downtown Atlanta, and you know doing all that, I got a lot of shit from a lot. Or sorry, sorry. That's I, okay. I got a lot That's of, all I got, right. I got stuff from a lot of people, you know, and a lot of people are giving me garbage about who are you to tell these people what they should be doing and so on and so forth. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, you don't understand, you know, there's people going, you want to fight the government and you want to fight the powers that be, I get that. Yeah, it's out of control. But you know what? There's a whole system behind it that's going, yeah. you know, it's feeding, perpetually feeding the the people that this is an okay way of thinking, that this is an okay um, way to go about things, and it's not. I'm sorry. I'm not a, a dictatorial guy, but like I said, admitting that we have a problem is a is the first step on the road to recovery. And any conversation that you could have, I don't care if it's in the line of a grocery store or a Black Friday shopper or mm-hmm. anything the more that you can get out and talk to people and see that not everybody really sees that we're going in the right direction or that we're doing the right thing as a people, as a collective, uh, you know, the more you can get out and talk to people, I think the better off that we're all going to be because it kind of throws a wrench in the normalcy of what we've become. Absolutely. And and one of the things that... um well, Josh, to your argument, I um, this is where this is where you and I, uh, I, I understand your philosophy. But then again, I look at the at the system that's set up, and the system is set up to create the people that you deem the useless eaters. So, is it are they are they products of the system, or are they just are they inherently like that? So you get into a you get into I guess uh, nature versus nurture. But uh, you and I both know that with the high-tech propaganda that we see on a day-to-day basis here in America, it, it really is hard to break your classical conditioning, especially when you spend, you spend you know, 15,000 hours in public schooling teaching you how to regurgitate and not how to be critically thinking or critically aware. But then we also run into the dichotomy of if you, if you do break your trance, if you do break out of the, the spell, and you do understand that, holy cow, there's a, there's a very small group of people that are actually running the show, and they've set up basically little satellite groups to brainstorm and figure out the best way to manipulate society while keeping everybody under the same you know, widgets and trinkets. Um, and then we run into this picture of, well, if everybody wakes up, then what do we do? Because it's going to crash the system. So you run into a, I, I guess, a, a double-edged sword, and it's always, I guess that's why the system's set up the way it is. If everybody jumps out of the system and opts out, what do we do? Well, we have to have 
um, we have to have some sort of a life raft. And, and I think that that's what all three of us are trying to do in, in some way, shape, or form is to, to give people the tools to wake themselves up and do their own research and, 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 and you know, form their own critical thinking. Don't listen to what I say. Don't listen to what Josh says. Don't listen to what Tripp says. Go, go read these things for yourself. Um, learn for yourself. Teach yourself how to learn. Teach yourself how to critically think. Um, when you watch commercials, don't just sit there and blindly take it in and say, oh, it's another product. It's got a shiny box on it. Look at the commercial and say, what are they trying to do here? Who is their target market? Who are they trying to advertise to? And I would say 95% of all advertisements – sorry to say this, everybody – 95% of all advertisement, and I think the other 5% is going to be beer and alcohol, but 95% of all advertisement is targeted towards women because these psychological, these psychological profiles have figured out that women basically control the monetary policy of the house. And that it's, it's actually been set up that way. It's been conditioned that way in, in, ever since the 1950s. Since they started taking all of these different things and moving the military-industrial complex in and moving all of these – shifting the buying habits, getting the woman out of the role of, um, of raising the kids, and I'm not saying that that's a, that that's a perpetuating and not a, a, a progressive model, but you have to look at the reasons that they did this. What, what are the reasons that they got women to smoke? What are the reasons that they got women – to, to get a job. What are the reasons they did this? The reason they got the women to get out and get a job is so they could get more tax money. It's not very difficult. You, you want more tax money? Well, who else is left? Oh, well, let's, let's, let's make the women work. Let's, let's get them to work. Then we can tax everybody. Josh, go ahead, man. Sorry. Oh, no, don't sweat I, it. I loaded, and, uh, I loaded you up with a, with a long explanation. So basically my question was at the very beginning, is it – is it the is it the system that perpetuates the people that you're talking about, the useless eaters, or are they inherently uh, useless eaters? And and it's just something that we're going to have to, as as um, compassionate human beings, help these people along in their life and just understand that that's going to be part of living. Is that there's going to be some people that are left behind a little bit, and we're just going to have to help them out and yeah, just we, suck we, it up, we, everybody. We can we can talk about that really quickly. Uh, you know, I, I completely agree with you in that the the control system doesn't play on any kind of inherent biological uh, you know discrepancies in 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 the brains of mankind, right? You know, th- this is this is something that that took years and years, decades, if not centuries, of conditioning to get people to accept. And and in a certain ex- to a certain extent, you have to marvel at it. Uh, it's perfection. You know, if you if you don't have a certain modicum of respect for your enemy, then you know you're you're fighting a losing battle. Uh, and and you know this is certainly an enemy that that people have to respect. They've managed to put most of the Western world in their back pocket while everyone was sleeping. But make sure I, you I go think vote, that, everybody. Make sure you go vote. <laughs> your vote matters. Exactly. But I I think a, an excellent example of 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 whose fault all this really is as uh, this is something that Mark Passio has said on on a number of uh, occasions. He's a he's an excellent occult researcher. Um, but he says there's there's a this wonderful device that you can you can look at and it will tell you exactly who is the the the, the top of the pyramid the ultimate global comptroller uh, the person who's let all of this happen the the rot that has has befallen humanity and the planet <laughs> and it's called it's called a mirror you look into <laughs> it and you'll see exactly who's to blame for for all of our all of our problems the uh, the the seventies. And what, what the hippies were doing to, to try and, and, and mitigate or, and eliminate the draft is a great example. They thought that the fight was done once mandatory conscription was gone. 
right? Mm-hmm. They thought there would be no more war because who the hell would want to sign up for this? It's, it's horrendous. You're doing it at, at the behest of, of people who, who want, to ki- want you to kill brown people uh, thousands and thousands of miles away from your friends and family for someone else's profit. But lo and behold, people still signed up. People signed up more than were conscripted, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, well, once we really get back to, to, to the brass tacks about all this, is that this, this system that's been erected is completely the fault of the American people, and it's the fault of people like you and me and certainly our parents and our grandparents for, for voting away uh, so, so many of our uh, God-given or inherent or natural law-based rights, however you want to refer to those. So mm-hmm. when you talk about a safety net, Jake, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you were to collapse this, this system in, in an overnight sort of sense, uh, the the way that system would be would, would collapse is through self sufficiency and, and and a return to to some semblance of a local economy, and mm-hmm. if that were to happen, if on a mass withdrawal type basis, then you would have that security net and that social fabric would remain intact entirely because you would have a small agrarian model, you would have people trading in alternative currencies, and you would have. Most of America, with the exception of, of, of some of these megacities that have lost their conscious, consciousness long ago, you know, most of this country would be just fine. I, I don't know if you agree with that, but I, I really think that's the model we need to move towards. I, I think education and what things like we do on a daily basis, what, what Trip does at, at Post Politics, what you do here on We Are Not Cattle, what, what uh, I and my colleagues do uh, over at Journalistic Revolution, you know, Obviously, all of us feel that, that, that there is hope for the American people because we spend so much of our time, effort, money, blood, sweat, and tears trying to let them know what's going on. But you know, For no up, profit, everybody. This is not yeah, profitable. Exactly. I will let you know that right out of the box. But, but it's all... Well, yeah, exactly. But what I wanted to say, wrapping up real quick, and then Tripp, I'll let you take a swing at this, is that you know, people who lead by example through, through education, that's great and all, but it's time for people like us it, you know, if we can, to start taking the nep- next steps and leading by example uh, with things like self-sufficiency. It's one thing to, to, to you know, have, have a reserve of, of food stores and ammunition and a place to run and hide uh, if things really start to go bad. But, you know, how many, how many people in this movement are, are, there's a lot of people talking about it, but how many people are really growing their own food? How many people mm-hmm. are really producing, trying to get off the grid and, and produce their own power? How many people are really trying to build their own houses and escape the debt-based mortgage system? You know, I think that's even within conscious people and people who are aware of this stuff. It's a very low percentage. So, you know, we right. need to step up our game as well. Go ahead, Trent, man. Yeah, uh, I I, want to bring up two names in particular, and um, they're both very difficult men to get a hold of because they're so damn busy doing the same thing. They're very, you know, I've tried to get them on. I've I've had Derek Bros on twice on my show. I've still yet to have John Bush, and John Bush has a compound outside of Austin, Texas, with trying just trying to get off the grid completely as much as possible. And let's be honest, folks, that is a full-time job in and of itself. If you want to be an activist, too, on top of that, I mean, the guy's a family man, just recently got married, he's got two kids, and they're trying to live off of the land. You know, that's more admirable than what most of us are doing, which is getting on radio or, you know, don't get me wrong, it's, it's all admirable to me, but it's um, it, that that's a very deeper plunge than than people like us um, 
either have the means and or are willing to do at this point. And it, but that's really, that's that's really uh, a solution based. Uh, type of agenda there. I mean, that's really uh, putting your money where your mouth is at the end of the day. And that's, uh, I I have nothing else to say of it other than it's very admirable and uh, I would hope that everybody could either band together with hopefully some local people within their given areas to make that a possibility um, because let's face it, it takes more than one family to do things like this. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely think that we need to be more goal-oriented when it comes to these things and not just necessarily complaining about them or trying to continue to wake up the masses. I'm a big uh, vote-with-your-dollars vote guy. I really dig that. I really think that once you stop feeding the beast, either the beast will feed on you or the beast will cease to exist and probably a little bit of both. You know, you're probably going to have to fight tooth and nail just to be left alone at the end of the day uh, with, with the kind of things that we're battling in, in this present day. No, that, was, uh, that actually kind of leads me right into my next um, quick topic. we got about 15 minutes left, so that should be a perfect amount of time. Um, and that is the rise of the police state in America. Now, Whenever you look at a society, it typically runs into a socialist model, and once again, we discussed this at the very beginning. This is by design. This is not something that's just happening. This is, um, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats, for those of you that don't know, um, save maybe a couple of statesmen, I guess is what you would call them. They're all in the same pocket, and their pocket is called getting reelected. They don't really care. They'll tell you exactly what they need to tell you on the campaign trail, and they'll go vote and do something else because they know that you're not paying attention. And what's the worst that's going to happen to you? You're going to show up, and you're going to rally. You're going to call their office. They don't care. They don't care about that stuff. So you have to look outside of politics, and what we're doing is we're looking at the enforcement arm, and the enforcement arm of the American people is now the police. And with the private prison system that we have set up, and I think that's going to be my next my next video – um, from uh, from the pastor will be on the private prison system and the police state. And it's not necessarily like saying all police are bad, but um, at some point, and people know this, if if you if you're aware of this information, if you've if you've actually paid attention over the last couple of years, you've noticed that um, that cops tasering people is up, cops shooting people is up, cops shooting dogs is up. But you know, all of these things are 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 very you know very much propagated through you know the accessibility that we have now with the internet. But we have to start looking at why is this happening? Why is the police state on the rise? Well, it's all because of federal funding. And typically what will happen, if you look at um, the John Birch Society and what they said back in the 1970s, and, um, and uh, it was um, – who wrote the book No Apologies? Uh, Josh, was it um, – uh, With uh, No Apologies is Barry Goldwater. Barry Goldwater. Yeah, Barry Goldwater talked about this stuff on the congressional record. He talked about the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Group. He talked about all this stuff on record back in the 70s and said that they were going to shift um, power from the Congress to the elective uh, executive branch, which they've done. Now, the reason that they do this is that they want to consolidate. Remember, it's all about consolidation. It's all about leverage, and that's why they use federal funding to give your local municipalities armored vehicles, to give them SWAT gear, to give them riot gear, to give them all these types of things because they understand what's going to happen in the long run. They know 
and they've known for quite some time. Was it in the 1980s, Josh, where um, J.P. Morgan actually hired the outside, um, the outside financial guru to come in and look at the way that the system is set up and say, um, Here, here's what we're looking at. Can you, can you fix it? And then he basically said, um, no, you, you really can't fix the system the way it is now. It's, it's doomed to fail. Uh, you you got to you got to shift to a different model, and they said you know thanks for your time, and, I, and the guy's name slips my head right now, but um, you know this has been in the cards for quite some time, and their answer and the state's answer is always force everyone. The state's answer is always force. So, what is your take on the rise of the police state in America? Uh, number one and number two, I guess the question is, like we alluded to earlier, Josh, with filming of police. How do people protect their their rights as as citizens, and um, and how do you do that in a non confrontational way to get the result that you want without um, without ending up on some YouTube video somewhere getting tasered or even shot to death because um, because a man in a uniform with a badge um, sworn in by the state uh, said he was threatened. Well, uh, that's a you bring up an excellent point in that I would say that the definition of the state is a monopoly on force. So the, this is all, all these people know how to do at the end of the day. Uh, now, you know, keeping that in mind going forward, uh, there, there's plenty of, of, of wonderful ways to combat that that, that we're seeing uh, through through the emergence of technologies. You know, uh, apps like Bambuser where you can record the police and even if they take your cell phone and uh, and delete all of your footage and you buy by by some means can't recover it, you know, it'll be automatically uploaded to, to something like Ustream or YouTube or, or any of these, uh, the, these services, which is great. You know, it is a bit of a double-edged sword because, you know, while these things are available on iOS and, and Android, you know, you're, you're feeding the beast by participating in it. Uh, and I take a little bit of a, of a, of a different stance than most activists um, in that, you know, if I am walking down the street every day and I see a dog that's growling at me and baring its teeth and snarling and stuff, my first instinct is not to test the, that angry beast. I don't go and stick my hand in its face. May, might I keep a gun on my hip or a cell phone in my pocket uh, as, a, as a means of self-defense or at least as a corroboration if that dog breaks that chain and comes and bites me and I need to take legal action against the owner? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to protect myself in that in in that sense, but I'm also not going to deliberately aggravate it. So, you know, mm -hmm. part of this part of this is about trying to trying to live off the grid and trying to do so while uh, while you know you, you're going to have to engage in certain forms of civil disobedience, but some are far more constructive than others. Is it constructive mm -hmm. to go and, and harass police uh, to to provoke a response at a checkpoint to show people what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. And I have a great deal of respect for the people that do that. That being said, though, uh, is it's far it's a far more constructive form of civil disobedience to grow chickens in your backyard in a local municipality that doesn't allow you to. That's a that's a very good um, that's a very good way to put it, and um, I think that that uh, like you said, we don't discourage people from doing that. But I look at things as um, you know, if if you're going to be about peace and if you're going to be about progress and if you're going to be about human progress and human potential, you need to take the moral high ground. And the moral high ground, as um, as a volunteerist and Josh, I believe that you're um, going to be in line with this as well. Um, you're you're never going to be the one that initiates force or puts yourself in a situation where you would have to initiate force on anybody else. You you take the moral high ground and 
you try to, as peacefully as possible, resolve the situation, understanding that everybody, all parties involved, need to act in a, in a certain manner and, and keep the peace, so to speak, which is what police officers used to be about, was keeping the peace. Uh, Trip, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, um, just just on the police state, I, I really want to dive a little bit deeper into this. I mean, Josh brought up some great points, but um, I really think, and I've been concentrating a lot on this as of late, um, as far as any of my activism goes, uh, out in the streets and whatnot, but it's it's bad news across the board. This is our demise. If you think John Rockefeller is going to show up at your or David Rockefeller is going to show up at your front door and tell you to get outside because you're off to the pokey, you, you know that's that's never going to happen. Bill Gates is not personally <laughs> and swab your arm and give you a vaccine at your house. This is not happening. So what is happening? We have hired armed thugs that will show up at your doorstep in order to gain a paycheck, in order to continue to perpetuate all of these things that these monsters that we despise have already put in place. What's the cure? Stop being police officers. There's so many other, or, or, or jackbooted thugs, or SWAT team members, or FBI agents, or IRS agents, are all like stop feeding the beast. Once again, it goes back to stop feeding the beast. Who are you that you are going to go against your fellow man? And, and you know, like me and Josh and you were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, you know, how long are people willing to go along with this? You know, how long are people saying, well, you know, it's, it's, it's an okay thing. And we've got to sort of have this counterculture in order to combat what's already put in place for what most people believe. We've got to sit there and literally shake people out of the slumber to get them to wake the hell up. This, right. This and, not- and it's like we almost trip, and I want you to answer this. It's almost like we have to create a counterculture within our own movement because – you do have the people that want to initiate force. You do have the people that are like, let's take arms and go overthrow the government. Like, yeah, and create a power vacuum? That never works. Have you ever studied any history? Have you ever read anything on violent overthrows of government? It never works. Look at, look at what happened over in Egypt. Yeah, that worked out great for them, didn't it? I mean, come on. Use your, even, use your head. Sure, and, uh, you know, uh, present. Well, that, that's a lot of present stuff. I mean, I guess the thing that would be closest to our culture and what we've seen is like the Mexican Revolution. That was 100 years ago, you know. I mean, check that out. You know, it, it's, it's completely insane, and history repeats itself. We have to start thinking about these things in a completely new and, yes, radical way. For, for what most people would believe to be radical. You well, know, people stop. would think that it's radical what Josh said, to go out and move out in the, in, in the woods and, and get some chickens and grow your own food. Most people would think that's radical because they can go down to the Kroger and, and get their chicken right there, even though it's you know produced in a, in a factory farm. Well, Jake, just let me say this, and I, I'll let you do whatever you got to do before we roll out, but, uh, you know, personally, and this is just me speaking because... I'm a free individual with my own opinion. And that is, I clearly do not understand it. 
I do not, and I don't think anybody here does. We don't understand people that wish to gain a paycheck by exerting force on other people. There's a million, if all else failed, I would be a starving artist of some sort. You know, I, if, if everything else, you know, went to the wind as far as monetary gain in my life, you know, is concerned, I would not want to do that. There's no amount of money that you could pay to make me do that because I have a hard enough time sleeping as it is, just with the information that we cover and everything going on in my personal life. I don't need the consciousness uh, or the you know the conscious deal going on in my head about how I had to beat up a bunch of people earlier that day just to earn a good living. You know, so um, it, it really is still about winning hearts and minds. So I would like to I would like to end on a positive note by saying that should still be at the at the core of what we're trying to do is to engage people in conversation and bring up these new ideas because let's face it, there's a lot of people out there that still aren't getting the picture, no matter how bad it gets out there. Well, and I think that unfortunately we're going to have a a large segment of the population that will um, that will always be loyal to the state. If you look at what happened in even in our revolution here in America, there was um, there was a very large portion of the population that was still loyal to King George because of all the all the trinkets and the goodies that um, that they got from England, and they didn't want to take that risk of going against the state. And that's one of the things that I fear. And that's one of the reasons that the founders set up the, the Constitution the way they did, is that they understood that if the federal government gets very big, then it becomes it becomes very intimidating. And, and they didn't understand that our society was going to be as docile as we are now, and they were going to institute all these high-tech, you know, high-tech propaganda grids and, and, and institute a, a system that, that dumbs you down on purpose to make you, to make you docile. So... Um, you know that's the that's the the big crux of the whole matter is that is that the state's getting larger and, and the people will um, will there's going to be a large segment of the population that will always grovel to the state and they will always look to the state for help because they've been conditioned to do so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, w- I would agree, and, and Tripp's absolutely right in that at the end of the day, winning hearts and minds, uh, whether it be through spreading information or leading by example, that's really what this is all about at the end of the day, and it's a, it truly is a great note to end on. But I have a quick poem here from, from Robert Frost. It's called Semi-Revolution. It's a very interesting one, very short, but it says, I advocate a semi-revolution. The trouble with a total revolution, ask any reputable Rosicrucian, is that it brings the same class up on top. Executives of skillful execution will therefore plan to go halfway and stop. Yes, revolutions are the only salves, but they're the one thing that should be done by halves. Well, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, almost every, almost every philosopher that's ever lived from a, from a um, I guess, a standpoint of freedom says the same thing that um i mean what did uh, didn't thomas jefferson say that um that every generation will have to um will have to have some semblance of a revolution and every 20 and years yeah and that's you know and, and unfortunately that's kind of where we're at now is that people got comfortable you know we got comfortable with the fact that um america had um we we were the winners of world war ii or at least the rockefeller foundation history books told us that we were the winners of world war ii 
and that um, that nothing will ever bad happen in America. And so it's very it's very sad to see that um, there's going to be a large segment of the population that will never get it just because of the, the creature comforts and the baubles that they get. Um, from the system, well, they'll never look at um, they'll never look at that coffee mug in front of them and say, "Gee, you know, this made in China. How come everything's made there? Why does this only cost 99 cents? It seems like it would cost a lot more to ship this from China." But I don't really care about that. It's not me, and it's one of the things that I've always perpetuated on this show is that, uh, unfortunately, um, the the majority of the population in America looks at it. Um, looks at their life very um self centric and, and, and that's um I guess part of the part of the system itself is it teaches you to be self centered and um one of the terms that I um that I kind of or one of the one of the phrases that you would kind of imagine most Americans say is, Well at least it's not me or at least I'm not that guy and eventually everybody, we're gonna all be that guy. We're gonna all be those people. You know, if you watch uh, films of people over in um Syria being decapitated and thrown off of churches, you know, most Americans will go, good God, that's crazy. I'm glad we're not over there. Well, unfortunately, there is no magic cloak that envelops the United States that says that tyranny can't come here because, unfortunately, everybody, we're, we're staring down the barrel of what could be a, a very, um, very harsh and um, very um, technocratic um, tyranny and um, – um, that's unfortunately what their writings say that the end game is, is going to be um, a mass extermination of the population. But um, not me saying it, just what they what they write down. Got to get rid of the useless eaters, right, Josh? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if I'd like to get rid of them on their terms, but I'm, I'm more of a natural selection guy than, uh, <laughs> than, than a brute force individual. But so, something has to change, that's absolutely certain. Yeah, and and unfortunately, everybody, it's it's up to us, the people that um, that have an idea of what's going on, to, to spread information and to uh, most importantly engage uh, in human contact, engage um, with your fellow citizen, with your fellow man, and um, and try to uh, engage in conversation and and get them to at least acknowledge what's going on because. It's up to us, like Josh said, look in the mirror and that's who's going to change it. It's up to you, the citizen. So that's it for the show, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, be sure to turn in be sure to turn in bleh, be sure to turn in tune in on Thursday if I can get that out. Uh, same time, nine o'clock. We will be here. Uh, thank you to my friend Josh Wiley from the Journalistic Revolution. Thank you to Trip Pugh from Post Politics. You can catch them on the Liberty Movement uh, Radio Network as well. And once again, everybody, get a friend, get informed, and get involved, and uh, we'll see you Thursday. Take care. I'm a